the four horsemen. What you have here is the four horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those four horsemen. These four horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Terry Hollifield, the Four Horsemen. We want to welcome you guys to the next episode of the Four Horsemen podcast, but tonight it is the Three Stooges podcast because... Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> because uh, Terry, the real deal, Hollifield had other obligations for this evening. So, um, so it's just the three of us. The topic tonight is a vast one, and one I'm sure we can do multiple podcasts on. But it is the idea of evangelism and disciple making. And are they one and the same? Are they different? What are the methods? What ways do we do it? Why aren't we doing it? There's so many things to cover, but. I want to begin with, obviously, our command in the Great Commission from Matthew 28, and it says that all authority, and this is Jesus speaking, obviously, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So, Essentially, there's the mission of the church and the mission of pretty much every Christian. And so the idea of evangelism, how would you define evangelism, Ben? Evangelism would be giving someone the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. All right. Would you add anything to that? Well, I think with the view of winning them to faith, um, the content as Ben is shared is focused upon the person of Christ, his atoning work, his uh, victorious resurrection, and that through faith in him we can be saved, called repentance and faith. And it is good news. And uh, so I think it's that announcement, that declaration, where you're giving people an opportunity to respond to that message. Right. So would you guys say, and I heard this a while back, would you say there is a difference between evangelizing and disciple making? You ever thought about that? Yes, I have. And, and I think those are commonly broken out as two different uh, purposes or, or actions. But to me, though there is a difference, they're two sides of the same coin. Kind of like I would say repentance and faith in bringing about conversion. They're not identical, but they work in tandem with each other. And so the Great Commission that you shared moments ago is a call to make disciples. Uh, really, that's what it's, it's saying. Don't go out there and just evangelize. Don't go out there and just try to win the lost at any cost. We've heard all those expressions. But it says to go make disciples, and to make disciples, you have to evangelize to, to do that. But if you're really evangelizing people, you don't just get them, you know, to make a profession, get them in the baptistry and then forget about them. Uh, you've got to help them grow, teaching them to observe all things. So so it all goes together. You, you can't differentiate between them in terms of, of how vital they are. You can't make a disciple without leading them to Jesus. If you lead them to Jesus, you have to the responsibility of making disciples. I would agree. I don't I don't think you can really have one without the other. I mean someone who hasn't been evangelized isn't a disciple and someone who's only evangelized isn't really a disciple either. Right. Well, one of the problems is obviously this is the command 
to all Christians and to the church uh, to go and make disciples. But Barna Group asked this question. He said, when when asked if they have a personal responsibility to share their faith, now obviously this is to Christians, uh, 73% of born-again Christians said yes, that they have personal responsibility to share their faith. But only about 52% of born-again Christians say they actually did share the gospel at least once this past year to someone with different beliefs in the hope that they might accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so the path that we want to kind of take down is why don't people evangelize more? Why don't people share the gospel more than what they do? What What do you think that is? There's a host of reasons, of course. I think uh, one preeminent one is just fear. Fear of rejection, fear they won't have the answers that people are seeking. Uh, fear that uh, they'll say something stupid that will cause somebody to reject Christ. Of course, you know, I've always responded to that. You know, people are going to hell. It can't get much worse than that. You're not going to mess that up, you know. <laughs> so whatever you do uh, will certainly be more effective than doing nothing. But uh, but I think fear is, is a big one, especially as the culture uh, has become post-Christian, that it becomes not only an offense to some people, the very thought of doing it is something that is uh, is branded as being intolerant and people don't like to do that uh, it's, it's not politically correct to tell someone Jesus is the only way so so I think those fears uh, certainly play into that I think for one people view evangelism or at least in the south where they've grown up and they've seen someone who identifies as an evangelist or they've seen maybe people street preaching or something like that, they assume that evangelism is kind of a public speaking type thing. And of course we know that's one of the biggest anxieties that people have. Well, is the, is it a calling? It says some people are called to be evangelists. Well, that's a different question. <laughs> wait, wait for that one. Ask that one in a minute. But a lot of people, it's not that they don't love the Lord. It's not that they don't want to see people saved, but they don't quote unquote, share the gospel for the same reason that they don't stand up in church on Sunday morning and give announcements because it's just, it causes anxiety. And of course, biblically evangelism can just be an everyday conversation. It doesn't have to be a performance. And that's one of the, the things that people need to understand if they have fear about evangelism of, you know, nobody's asking you to go out on the street corner and preach unless God's called you to do that. Sometimes evangelism happens at a coffee shop or in your living room or, you know, when you're tucking your kids into bed. Um, I think another issue is we've grown up in a culture where too much of the gospel is dependent on the preacher and not on the message itself. And so all these fears of what if I say something wrong? What if my theology isn't perfect? What if they ask me a question I can't answer? There's a lot of those kind of hesitations of, you know, I'm no Bible scholar and I'm just going to try to invite him to church and let the pastor preach to him because he knows the answers and he knows all that kind of stuff, which, of course, we know that, uh, for one, the people that Jesus is talking to in Matthew 28 are not Bible scholars. They're fishermen. You know, they specialize in uh, killing and cleaning animals, not, you know, theology. And so if he can ask a bunch of fishermen to go out and and share the good news of Jesus' victory over sin, that's basically what we have to do. And so I think one of the things that we can do to help overcome that in churches is try to make the gospel as clear and simple as possible so that people can repeat that and understand that there is theology behind it, 
But you don't need to talk to a lost person about premillennialism. You need to talk to them about the fact that you're both sinners. You both need to be saved. God loves sinners, and so he's made a way for people to be saved through his son. And uh, and it, it's really as simple as that. And that you're trusting that the power of that message is what is going to save somebody, not your fancy speech or anything else. Yeah, and I, I think to follow up on that, uh, a lot of the responsibility for this issue in the church is in, rests upon the pastor because we do a lot of ought-to preaching. You ought to tell people about Jesus. You ought to be a witness. You ought to be a soul winner. We, we lay that guilt trip on them. And, and there's nothing wrong with laying the responsibility before them, but also we have to do the how-to. Mm-hmm. We've got to tell them, you know, if, if you're going to do this, this is the way you do that. And by giving the content, like Ben was talking about, it's very, very important to make it simple. But along with that, even the technique and one of the best ways that I found in my ministry uh, are to take people with me, to just go out and say, you got a friend, if you'll just get me in the door. You don't have to say anything. Just introduce me and I'll talk to them. What happens after a while, if they visit with you, they begin to share. They uh, begin to gain confidence. That's how I learned to to share my faith was by going with someone that was more seasoned and experienced. And I was terrified even doing that. But to just knock on a stranger's door, and that's all I had. That's all they wanted me to do. But after about the third home we went into, then I had to share a word. (laughs) I had to uh, interject something. And so to me, that's one of the best uh, ways of training. There's, there's no excuse for not having evangelism in the church. If the pastor is doing the work of the evangelist that he's uh, called upon to do, he's going to be training up other people to, to do that. That's part of discipleship. And I'll just throw this in right quick. It was a blessing to my soul. I was speaking to a lady in our church whose brother had died. Her husband, who had been in one of my discipleship groups, had gone down there with her and had shared the gospel with her brother to make sure that when death came, uh, that he would be ready to meet the Lord. And I thought, you know, that's a win right there. Mm-hmm. If I have equipped him, because we talked about mission a lot. Every week there was a missional component in our study. And so he got it. And, and to me, uh, that's, I don't always do it like I need to do it, but that was a success story. One of the things that I was thinking about when we were talking about doing this, and you both have kind of hit on it, but I I believe that if you feel like you have to evangelize, you've missed it, right? Because people who encountered Jesus didn't have to go tell people. They wanted to go and tell people. And I think so many times, one of the things that I've learned throughout the years is, and I've seen some people comment on it is your story. You know how how has Jesus changed your life? Yes, because if you can if you can tell clearly how Jesus has changed your life beyond He saved me, which is incredible. Don't get don't miss that. But I think that's the easy fallback to of well, He saved me. Okay, well, how else has He changed your life? Uh, he saved me. So so Jesus hasn't really changed your life because people who encountered Jesus didn't leave Him. Uh, unchanged in one form or fashion. And so I think having that relationship and growing deeper in a relationship that you will want to tell people the whole adage, you know, if you had the cure to cancer or if you saw something miraculous or you saw something amazing, you're not going to keep it to yourself. And so if you can't view your own life as something that happened that was miraculous, then then clearly you're going to struggle in evangelism. And I also think the win is different. And we're going to talk about this in just a few minutes. 
But I think the win, and some of you mentioned it, is if I can just get them to church, uh, you know, you'll appreciate that, uh, that, that that's not the goal, uh, is to just get them to church. Because at that point, you almost turn it over to the pastor. Well, my hands are done. I got them in the doors. No, you're called to make disciples, not church attendees. And so um, that was something that a church plant training that I went through, one of the guys, and I think I've even mentioned it on here, is he said when you're when you're talking to people um, that don't invite them to church, and it, it's a pushback. Now, obviously, you want eventually to invite people to church, but so quick when their goal is to get them in the church and turn them over to the pastor, then when you take that off the board and they actually have to talk about you know how Jesus has changed their life, what Jesus can do in their life, then it kind of changes the ballpark. Now, obviously, you're going to want them to be a part of of, of a godly family, a church family. Um, but that can't be the initial push. And it was funny because when you do these training, if you do any kind of training with people and you talk about evangelism and how to evangelize, if you just ask them, how would you, it, kind of a role-playing thing, it's amazing how many, right off the bat, you know, well, I'll go to this church. You know, No, that's not, that's not the win. You know, that's a part of it. But that's not ultimately the win. But something I wanted to hit on just a minute ago, and Dennis, you mentioned it, was about going door to door. In your years of ministry, how has the methods of evangelism changed? Uh, how would you say that, that things have changed to the day? Well, it's been dramatic. Uh, when I first began in ministry, I could pretty much go uh, house to house, door to door, unannounced. I could take off on a Saturday morning. You know, not at 8 a.m., but 10 later. And, and I could just start going through the neighborhood, knocking on doors, ringing doorbells. Every now and then you'd get somebody that was hostile. There were occasions that somebody would cuss, threaten you, run you off. But, but, but almost none. Many people would welcome you right in, talk with you, engage you, uh, conversation. And, and what had happened was, seed had been sown in their heart already because you had this Christian culture. Not saying that they were converted, but they were given Gideon Bibles in school. Uh, They hurt mom and dad, maybe were believers. There was this understanding of the gospel, even if they had not received Jesus. And so you didn't have to spend a lot of time on apologetics. You didn't have to address some of these things. You didn't face the militant secularism and and atheism and so it gave an opportunity plus america then was a sit on your porch in a rocking chair know your neighbor say hi friends and and now everything has changed we're so in such a cocoon we come in we enter in the garage by pushing a door a button that opens the garage door we come in get out of our cars we go in there everything's air conditioned or heated in the winter and so we're not outside uh, windows are closed. The doors are locked. You know, we, we get in front of uh, our uh, mobile devices or computer screens or TVs, big screen TVs, and everything happens. It's confined there. So we don't even have an idea who our neighbor is. We don't ever see them. We don't get out there and engage them. And so uh, when you do try to do that, you will meet great resistance. I'm not saying never to do it. I'm not saying it can't be effective at times. But it's going to be much more of a challenge today. It's almost like you're talking about street preaching. It's almost like you're trying to do that in a very difficult urban area where you're getting up in a crowd of folks and addressing them, getting all kind of cat calls and that sort of thing. You'd almost get that, that sort of response 
from people now just going out door to door. And if you show up unannounced, a lot of people just ignore you. But they will not answer that. You can hear they're in there. You know, the TV's going, your kids yelling, whatever, but nobody's going to bother with you. They're just going to ignore you. So it's quite a change. Talking about this street preaching thing, and you were talking about people you've known, and I've seen some some of you guys on the elephant room have talked about street preaching. What do you guys think about that? Do you find that it's still effective? And I wish we could have one of them here to can kind of share their story. But, you know, the ones that I've seen <laughs> – aren't the perfect pictures of what we're trying to accomplish, you know, turn or burn type stuff. And, and it's funny because and this is might be bad, but I've always tried to get them to share the gospel with me. And I understand that a lot of it is because they they're, in, they've been in such a battle <laughs> that when somebody actually comes to them that they, they're still wanting to fight and you're like, nah, you know, tell me about this Jesus and oh, you're going to hell. Well, Okay, I don't want to go to hell. How do I not go to hell? Ah, you're going to hell. They can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. So do you guys find, have you seen it done effectively? Can it be done effectively? Is it something that we should even be doing? What do you guys think about that? So uh, Chris, one of the elders at the church that I serve, has spent years street preaching around the country and also uh, locally in our area. And he's kind of seen both experiences. There's some guys that he preaches with. He's loud, but he's not yelling. If that makes sense, he just has, he projects his voice. A lot of times he'll start out a sermon with, hi, my name is Chris. I'm here today to talk to you about some good news. And and he'll go into basically just starting a conversation. And then anybody who will walk by and interact with him, he'll talk with them. And that actually has been effective for him. There's been people that have contacted him uh, even months and years later to let him know, hey, I actually went home and read my Bible or I went to church that week and I, I, I got saved. We have people that are a part of our church uh, now that came up for vacation to the Apple Festival and heard him preaching and found out what church he was at and started attending the church there. Um, so it has been effective, but his method is he does talk about sin and repentance, but it's not your hellfire brimstone type stuff. He actually mentioned this past Sunday in his sermon, the idea of righteous anger and how you can have righteous anger against sin, but that can turn into unrighteous anger against sinners. And that he's seen that happen with guys like you, like you were saying, Adam, they, they see the sin, they see the criticism, they see people that hate God. And they do that enough to where they just become angry at those people. And then they're not really preaching to see people saved anymore. They're just retaliating at the wickedness uh, that's around them. And at the end of the day, that's not helpful. The, the thing with, I think, you know, whether it's street preaching or sitting across the dinner table or, you know, handing out tracts, there's a lot of different ways to evangelize. But at the end of the day, the thing you have to keep in mind is uh, the gospel is good news. Yep. And if somebody walks away feeling like they didn't hear good news, you didn't really communicate it very well. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's like when you deal with sin in that kind of context, it's like if you go into a jewelry store and you're going to purchase that beautiful diamond ring for the love of your life, and they bring that out into the lights and they spread out a, a black velvet cloth and then they put that diamond ring on top and you, it just causes the luster of those facets to just burst in brilliant light. 
but then you don't go out of there and say, man, that was the most impressive uh, velvet cloth I've ever seen. You know, how dark it was. And, you know, it's, it's just incredible. No, you, you think about the ring. So in the same way, yeah, you got to give that background of people being sinners and, and depraved and that were lost and on our way to hell. But that's to get to the good news, the, the diamond of God's grace that's going to be sparkling there for, for everybody to see. And uh, and so sometimes I think in that street preaching, those guys never get to that because some of them, not all of them, but some are legalists themselves. Right. And so they're filled with self-righteousness. And so naturally, that's the message. The reason they are there is they're trying to earn credit with God. Right. Now, again, it's a generalization. I'm not saying everybody that does street preaching like Chris and others. There's some men that do it very effectively. But what I am saying is that some of the type that you're talking about, your Westboro Baptist kind of, of folks, they're there so that they, they're fulfilling their little checklist so they don't feel guilty about themselves. So the way they do that is by heaping guilt on other people. Yeah. So so those things just go together. I think you can do street preaching. I've done some. I did some recently when I was in Vermont, which is basically an unchurched uh, uh, area. Uh, we were on the lawn of the First Baptist Church of uh, Bennington. And uh, and they they are connected with uh, a, a Baptist group that's more much more liberal. They did let us be there. We set up hamburgers and hot dogs, put out chairs, and uh, and you know had a lot of folks who ever wanted to come. We probably had about you know fifty sixty people that came in, stopped in. So, yes, the appeal of food was was present, but you know I got up and preached to them. Uh, another time we were in a mobile home park. And it was like pandemonium all around with kids and people and stuff. Again, we we fed the folks and we had, you know, several professions of faith in both areas. And so I just, you know, you had to preach louder. They couldn't hear you. You had no microphone or anything else. But as you well know, I can I can do that. So uh, but so I think it can still be effective. It's not something I do a lot of, but I have done uh, done on occasion. Right. Well, the the thing about evangelism. So let's let's shift it now to 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 overcoming some of the obstacles that we have discussed. And one of them was uh, fear. You both kind of mentioned fear and the fear of public speaking and, and talking about things. But what I find interesting is, I, I, and I've, I can think of people right now in my head specifically, that will talk about that, well, I don't want to get rejected. Uh, I don't like to, to speak in public. Um, I don't like to... Uh, getting other people's business is is one thing that I've you know I've heard other people saying. You guys have heard that same type of of speech, but yet when you follow them on Facebook or have conversations with them, boy, they can tell you how good Donald Trump or how bad Donald Trump is in a heartbeat. So for whatever reason, people will talk about things that they really want to talk about, and so it's it's a matter of fear. So do you think? Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is an excuse when we're more fired up about politics, this being specific, or even sports, than we are about the gospel? What do you think the the, the heart behind that is? Well, and people don't even uh, worry about ticking folks off when no. uh, when that's the case. They're they're glad to throw down the gauntlet if it's a political uh, conversation or sports teams or that sort of thing. Uh, they'll roll up their sleeves and duke it out. But when it comes to sharing the gospel, there's that uh, timidity, and I think there's a spiritual component. Uh, I'm not trying to be, you know, super mystical or anything, but there's a real spiritual warfare that's involved as you're moving into enemy territory and sharing the gospel. And I think people 
uh, hear those voices in their head. Uh, I'm not saying Satan's directly speaking to them, but but that uh, you know, just persuading them. Uh, you don't need to do that. It's, they're not going to believe you. You know, you're going to be a failure. And two, again, this comes back to the preacher in this sense that I think sometimes we've communicated that unless you seal the deal right. and somebody prays to receive Christ, that you have failed. And and really, if you've just shared the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, then you leave the results to God. You're just sowing the seed out there. And so I think to communicate that to people would be a very helpful thing to do. Right. I think uh, a big reason why people don't share the gospel is because they're lost. And I, I that's uh, and that's a big again, it could have something to do with it. And again, like like Dennis was saying about street tears, that's a generalization. Right. I mean, obviously, I think you have some people who are just not saved, and that's the reason why they can tell you about everything that's transformed their life except the gospel, <laughs> because the gospel hasn't transformed their life. And right. so for them, it's like, okay, what do I tell people about Jesus? Okay, um, Jesus. Uh, was a baby in a manger, and uh, he died for people's sins, and he rose from the dead. Right. And the person that looks at them and says, so what? Like, what does it have to do with me? The response is, is like, I don't know. Right. And if they were to ask him, well, what does that have to do with you? The response would be, I don't know. Right. I don't know how many testimonies I've heard of people who said, you know, I was baptized when I was seven years old, and I got saved at VBS, and... It's like the standard Southern, you know, I've gone to church for 30 years, but I don't actually know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with him. God's word uh, is not alive to me. It's not making a difference in my life on a regular basis. So so that's that's a big problem. But I think another thing is, is you just have a lot of immature Christians. Just the same way as, you know, my one-year-old daughter, she can tell me some things that she knows. Like in the last week, she starts using the word here. So... She'll pick something up and she'll go here and she'll hand it to me. And she does that with everything. She thinks every single animal is a baby. So she calls a cat a baby and a deer a baby and a cow a baby. And so she's communicating. And I understand what she means by it because I'm her father and I spend a lot of time with her. But her ability, her skills have not developed to the point where she can communicate well. And I think you've got a lot of Christians that are that way because... One, a lot of people don't go to a church where there's any way to teach theology. So, like, they might have preaching, but most people, when they're preaching, are aiming for application and not so much theology. Like we've talked about before, there's no catechism, there's no training, there's no anything to talk to them about what is the resurrection and what what, did it, what are different theories about that and why do we believe a certain way or what is baptism? You know, I mean, I mean, 90% of people in the South think baptism saves you still. Right. Or they think that it takes away your sins if you ask them, and it's like washes no. your sins away. Yeah, and and you ask people that all the time. Well, why do they not know it better? Because how many how many times in a sermon have they said, "Let's talk about the doctrine of baptism and what does that mean?" And and that's not a knock on preachers or anything, but it's just a matter of a lot of churches just don't have a way of teaching that kind of stuff. And then you couple that with the fact that the majority of people have not been one on one discipled. Like Dennis said, I mean, almost everything that I know about evangelism and disciple making was because of people in my life that I had a one-on-one relationship with that I saw them share the gospel or study their Bible or do different things like that. And we take for granted a lot of times the people that listen to this podcast are people that have been one-on-one discipled. If you're listening to this and you care enough to listen to a podcast like this, I can guarantee you somebody has discipled you in your life. 
Right. But you're probably, you know, 5% of the people in your church. That's one of the hard things when it comes to that evangelism piece is, is there's a lot of people who don't share the gospel because it's never transformed their life. And there's a lot of people who don't share just like Dennis was saying, they've never had anybody hold their hand and walk them through. Like, here's how you talk to somebody. Right. And so the only thing they know is what they see on TV or what they see in an evangelism training class. And they're like, I can't just walk up on the street and cold call people. And even if I want to. Um, I don't know what to say to them or, or how to respond to anything that they're going to say. Yeah, and I think a lot of that, Adam, and Ben, has to do with intentionality, that this is a major problem in our churches in that, yes, we know we need to do it, and we'll even talk about it and reference it, but as far as that being a real focus and priority, right. uh, sharing our faith is, is not because it requires something very intentional. You don't just gravitate toward evangelism right? because the devil will fight you, uh, you know, tooth and nail with, with that one. So if the pastor is not thinking in terms of what can we do to engage our community, how can we get out of these four walls and make a difference? How can we get our people enthused about sharing their faith and, and equipping them to do that? If you're not intentional in that, it's just not going to happen. So can I put in a plug? Go for it. <laughs> okay. On, if you're anywhere around the Asheville area, Haywood County, wherever, on October 12 and 13, the fellow who headed up uh, evangelism for Florida Baptist Convention and most recently retired from the Baptist State Convention in North Carolina, Don McCutcheon is going to be coming on a Friday evening and a Saturday morning, a little bit into Saturday afternoon, doing his intentional evangelistic church seminar. So it'd be great for leaders of churches, for pastors to come. If you've never been through that, it's only going to cost you $20, and we're going to feed you three times out of that. And then you're also going to be fed spiritually. But the whole thrust of it is to give you many practical ways that you can intentionally have that focus as a church uh, fulfilling the, the Great Commission. So we'd love for folks to come. You can go on our website at polecreek, www.polecreek.org, and uh, there'll be a link on there for you to be able to, to register. So, uh, again, we want to be more intentional at our church. So if nobody else comes, it's going to be good for us because in time, you just that begins to erode. That evangelistic fervor begins to diminish, and we want to recapture that. I think uh, one of the biggest obstacles to evangelism in 2018 is busyness. Yeah. Because even people I know, myself included, I, I kicked myself Sunday night because I had a homeless guy try to bum some beer money off of me <laughs> when I was going into Ingalls. And he told me, you know, he, he asked for some money and I said, you know, well, you know, what, what do you need? I said, I, I'm, <laughs> and he's like, man, I just need a beer. And at least he was on. He's like, he's like, I'm, I'm about to walk 60 miles to Asheville. And I was like, well, maybe you need some water if you're going to be walking 60 miles. He's like, no, I got that. He's like, I just need to get my mind right. So then for the rest of the night, I kicked myself because I'm going to be like, brother, your mind can be renewed by the word of God. Oh, of course, I didn't say that, but I should have, right. you know. But why didn't I? Because, well, I'm just running in the store to get a couple things and get home. You look back and you're like, okay, five minutes wouldn't have hurt anything right. for me to just stop and say something. Because I, I'm, at a, I'm at a point where I have been discipled, and so I feel like I can answer a lot of people's questions. So my issue is more of just taking the time to slow down and say, okay, this conversation is more important than whatever it is I'm about to go do because this could be somebody's eternity. 
I think people are too busy with life in general. They're way overstimulated with technology and everything else. And honestly, I think people are too busy at church. One of the things we've really tried to do is cut back programs and extra services. And it's like, we want you to worship on Sunday morning. We want you to be in a small group and we want you to serve. And that's all we're asking for you. And we're going to try to trim out as much time as possible. So instead of doing that extra evening service during the week, you need to be having somebody over for dinner and sharing the gospel with them and, and trying to get programs out of the way of that person right. sharing the gospel. I want to finish this up and we, we've kind of been hitting on it, but um, you know, besides coming to the evangelism conference here at Pole Creek next month, you know, I want to talk about some of the ways that people can overcome the fear and uh, kind of the methods of evangelism that maybe have been effective for us. I know for me personally, one of the things um, that I've learned throughout the years is, and we've talked about the culture, how busy we are, how we're always on the go. But I think you can use that to your advantage. And one of the things that I was taught, and, and I've kind of tweaked it to my own, but and I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but you know, Jesus had really three groups of people around him. He had his inner three, he had the 12 disciples, and he had the thousands in the crowd uh, that would follow him. And each, you know, the thousands he had kind of a uh, distant relationship with. And then the 12, he had a more close relationship with. And then the three, you obviously had a, a intimate relationship with. And uh, I think the thing is, is that if we can identify those people in our lives, whether it be, you know, that your inner three is usually going to be your spouse or your kids and things of that nature. And then your 12 could be your close friends and, and things, you know, um, other family members. But I think the initial step is just to be aware of their spiritual condition. I think when you can get people thinking about that, whether it be coworkers, your 12 could be coworkers, people you're working with all the time. And it's not as even though you have to have these in-depth theological conversations, but can you identify who seems to be a Christian around you? Because that's a stepping stone. It's almost a game plan. You know, football team, they've got a game plan for the opponent. they got to understand what they're running and things of that nature. So I think from an evangelistic standpoint, if you don't know the spiritual condition or have an idea of the spiritual condition around about the people around you, um, that's a great first step. You know, you could even take notes if you want to. You know, you know this person, I don't know. And, and that will help guide you in your discussions. And, and one of the things that a church that I went to, they have coaching sessions. They have a group of 12 people. And each week they go through a, a different, you know, well, Let's talk about the people within your group. You know, your, they call it the sphere of influence. All right. So, what was the conversation like this week? Well, this person's dealing with this. Well, and, and I mean, it's it is truly a coaching session of how. Okay, let's talk about how we can approach this. And the whole group will pour in of, well, how can we make this spiritual? They did a whole exercise of milk versus meat, in which you can speak scripture into situations and things of that nature. So, I think. Starting out and just being aware of the spiritual condition with the people that you are closest with is a huge first step. And again, that's not some kind of scripted anything. It's just being aware of people's spiritual conditions. Because I think that's something I know for myself. Once I started thinking about that, it's something I never really did. Um, it was like, well, I'm just going to cold, almost a cold call. Well, that that's not that effective or it's not the most efficient way to get to it. So I think that's. That's a great first step, in my opinion, is just being aware. Well, and I think the the awareness can come through uh, asking the folks, we want you to pray for three 
people on a regular basis who need Jesus. And what will happen is, of course, their hearts can be prepared through that prayers. The Holy Spirit works, but also your heart will be prepared. I found it impossible for me to pray for my neighbor specifically very long until I got to go across the road and talk to them. Uh, you know, that burden just grows inside of you as, as you do that. And so I think that's one thing that can heighten that awareness. You could also maybe once a quarter uh, give out a friend card where you ask people, put down, list some friends, some relatives, some associates, some neighbors that you think uh, don't know the Lord. And it's usually pretty obvious, you know, uh, they're out mowing the grass on Sunday morning when you're going some, you know, going to church and, you know, there's things you pick up on. You hear a wild party over there, you know, going on one night and stuff. So you can pick up on those things. You you know, those people are there. Jeff, like you say, you've got to stop and think about this. And and so I think that's a very important part of it. And this church my oldest son attends, Richland Creek down in, in the town of Wake Forest, huge church. But when I went into their their Sunday school class, about 30 people in there and, and, and all, you know, the first thing they did, they took prayer request. But it was not prayer request. time? It was not an <laughs> organ recital. recital. No. <laughs> they prayed for lost people. That's all they talked about. They began to share and they'd write their names on the board and they'd go through and, and, and pray for them. So it was no biological medical things that came and Isn't up. that weird when you look at prayer lists like ours at our church? I've, I've challenged our folks. I mean, 95% of it is oh, yeah. health. Well, yeah. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray we for should. that. But I mean, somebody going to hell is much worse than... Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, what, what is it? somebody said that we pray harder to keep people out of heaven than to keep them out of hell. Oh, that's a good... Yeah, yeah. that's good. <laughs> it's very good. What do you think? One of the key things that I've seen in good conversations that I've had evangelistically is just transparency. Even with people in, in my own church, I try to be, I don't say, you know, gory details about all of the sin in my life, but I try to be very open about the fact that I'm a human being. I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy of God's grace and, and certainly not more than anybody else. And I usually just really try to disarm people. And, and I found that in doing that, People that are hurting, they they want somebody to talk to. And as pastors, that's critical is to 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 get them to think think of you as somebody normal. (laughs) I've had church members tell me before, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, but somebody did say this to me. They said, "I feel like you're the realest pastor I've ever had," because I was honest with them about struggles that I have. And you know, being a pastor isn't this you know magic hat that you put on that all of a sudden you're just sin free and and holier than everybody else in the church. And so trying to bring myself down to everybody else's level and and kind of put everybody on the same playing field has been helpful. Another thing that helps me is our small groups have been really helpful. So we do uh, groups on Wednesday nights now. We do 30 minutes of sermon review, and then we split up uh, men and women, and we do 30 minutes of prayer. We have lists that we go through of items that we pray for, like the church leadership, the different ministries of the church, the the passion uh, for things like evangelism. We pray for a foreign country every week, a different country, and the gospel work there. And then we spend 30 minutes doing accountability questions, praying for each other, and praying for the lost. And so 
that accountability is really helpful when I know there's five or six guys every week that I'm going to have to tell them, okay, who, who did I talk to this week? You know what? Some people might say, well, you shouldn't have to have that. Well, you know, maybe they're more spiritual than the rest of us, but a little accountability never hurt anybody. <laughs> and I know it's, it's certainly helpful for me because then it helps me be more alert to those opportunities. Cause then when that door does open up, I'm like, Oh, this is, I can take advantage of this. So that I have something to share. Well, and, and, that, and that's biblical because when Jesus sent the disciples out, he brought them back in and they gave a report about mm-hmm. what they had done, what they had said, what they'd experienced. So, you know, that's, that's a very biblical thing to hold people accountable. Well, and like you said too, Dennis, you know, the win is that you share the win. Isn't what that person does. Because you don't control that. That's between them and the Lord. And so one of the good things about those groups is getting to rejoice together when somebody does get to share. When somebody says, hey, you know, I got to talk to my coworker this week. And, you know, I don't really know. You know, they didn't say a whole lot, but maybe they said that they're really thinking about it. Or you get an update, you know, and then and then maybe, maybe they do come to church one time and you meet them. And you're like, man, I've been praying for this person for months. I mean, there, there's been some nights where we've written names up on the board of lost people we were praying for where they actually walked in <laughs> and their name was on the board, you know, but it's one of those things of like, Hey, we love you. You know, we're, I mean, we're praying for you for real. We're not just saying it, but, but I mean, we do you're think you're there. going to hell. Yes. You know, Hey, <laughs> it's sometimes it's, sometimes it's real, you know, I mean, sometimes that opens the door for a conversation. Right. Why is my name on the board? Well, we have some concerns, you know, um, and being able to love people and do that. Another thing that I would recommend just as a resource, there's this great app. I know they have it for Android. I'm not sure if they have it on uh, iPhones, but you shouldn't have an iPhone anyways. Amen. But it's called Prayer Mate. It's one word, Prayer Mate, M-A-T-E. Uh, and it's an app that stores your prayer request. And so you, you make these little cards. It's almost like flashcards of people you want to pray for. You can add the contacts in your phone. It can be different things at church. And then you can select how often you want to pray for it. So like every morning it sends me 12 prayer cards of here's 12 different things. And some of it's uh, lost people that I'm praying for. I have like a deacon every day that I pray for. Um, the other pastors that I serve with, I have a list of other pastors in the community that I'm friends with, just different requests. If there's a specific request from a church member, um, and it really helps me because I'm not a, a handwritten type person. Like I, I would just lose a notebook or something, but if I put it in there every couple of days, it's being reminded again of, I'll remember, you know, this person has this need or, uh, you need to pray for the situation. And then a lot of times I'll send people a message of, Hey, I prayed for you this morning or, even even some of my lost friends, like, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you, thinking about you, or maybe I'll send somebody a song or something like that. Uh, but that app was recommended to me a few months ago, and it's been really helpful. So if you're one of those people that wants to pray for the lost more and you struggle with just not having that in a prayer time or even just having a prayer time at all, that's really helpful because it'll pop up on your phone every morning and be like, it, it literally says, it's time to pray. <laughs> and I'm like, I guess so. <laughs> So you said that's Prayer Mate? Prayer Mate is what it's called. So you should be able to find it in your app store. Yeah, one of the resources that I was thinking about earlier was um, you were talking about how evangelism has changed over the years. And um, James Emery White did a message at the pastor's conference um, several years ago. And we probably can link it on to the, the podcast. But um, he, he does, does an incredible job. Uh, and it's James Emery White, not the angry Calvinist James White. Um, um, that would be James R. White. Yeah, he's mad about something. I don't know. Not much grace. But anyway. He's mad about sin. Amen, brother. It's James R. Yeah. White. But it, James Emery White does an incredible job about 
in today's society that we've got to take on a pre-evangelism. And it's it's an incredible message. So if you get the chance of listening to it, you got any resources throughout? Well, there's there's tons of them out there. You know, the Bible's a pretty good one. Amen, brother. So, so what I've done uh, recently was one Sunday morning in worship when I had the largest group that was there. I I spent time telling them here's a few ways to introduce a gospel conversation. Then I gave them the content. I showed them how to mark a New Testament, lead somebody through the the Roman road, and then talked about what your testimony should be, how to share your story, how to bookend, you know, how my life was before I met Christ, how it is now, and here's the event of when my life was changed. And so that was that was my sermon. Gave people an opportunity there. Gave them an outline, a format, uh, how to how to close, how to lead somebody uh, in a in a prayer of commitment, and so they were given all of that uh, right there in that thirty minute window of opportunity. So those several hundred people that were there would not have an excuse to say, "Well, I don't know what to do." Right. I gave them simple tools to do. It's funny you said the testimony thing. Went to a conference and he he taught us about you know coaching. In testimonies, you know, that that is something you can coach people on. And so we went to this thing and we heard people giving their testimonies. And um, I would say the majority of the folks, and I would challenge all of you that are listening to this to to give your testimony to somebody. And I probably shouldn't tell you this, but time, how much your pre-Jesus is more than your after Jesus. Because it's amazing when you listen to people's testimony, they'll they'll talk for ten minutes on how much they partied, how much yeah, everybody. They, I mean, it was it's crazy. And then like, and then I got saved, and uh, now my life's boring. It, it dwindles up, right? So from a sales pitch, it's a terrible thing of how Jesus has changed lives. But uh, but anyway, we've got more to discuss on this, and I'm sure we'll do this later on. For example, how can a church as a whole on Sunday morning gatherings be evangelistic? And I'm sure that'll uh, get been going. But um, but anyway, one thing I do know is we are called to go and make disciples. So I pray that you are going and making disciples. God bless. See you next time. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than best the president. I see brothers talking, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina. Hey, man.